Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Employees are the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers group dental, vision, life, and disability plans designed to protect them. Exceptional service, broad networks, and modern benefits. That's the power of human care. There's a growing movement among some Republican-led states to roll back child labor regulations. Last week in Iowa, state senators approved a bill that would allow children as young as 14 to work night shifts and allow 15-year-olds on assembly lines. Iowa's Republican Governor Kim Reynolds has signaled her support for the legislation. Iowa is just one of seven states where lawmakers have either passed or introduced laws to roll back child labor laws so far this year. An investigation by the Washington Post revealed that these changes are largely being pushed by a conservative advocacy group called the Foundation for Government Accountability. That group is working with state legislators to craft laws that make it easier for children to work longer hours under more dangerous conditions. Meanwhile, child labor violations have soared in recent years as the Biden administration struggles to enforce existing regulations. How are child labor laws changing from state to state? And what role, if any, should the government have in regulating child labor? We'll get into all that and more after this quick break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Let's get into the conversation and welcome our guests. Joining us now is Beth English. She's the executive director of the Organization of American Historians and a historian of the 19th and 20th centuries United States. She's also an affiliate faculty member at the Department of History at Indiana University. Beth, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Reed Mackey, the Director of Child Labor Advocacy at the National Consumers League. Reed, welcome back to the program. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, Iowa isn't the only state where lawmakers are scaling back child labor protections. Reed, where else in the country is this happening? Yeah, I think there are eight or nine other states that are looking at weakening child labor protections. Um, Some of those are are, um, focused mostly on expanding hours, but um, Ohio is among the states. Uh, Minnesota has two two child labor bills that would weaken protections. And, um, um, you know, we just saw that Arkansas recently passed a, a provision that would uh, that removes the work work permit process, which we're really concerned about. And, and again, go a little bit more into the kinds of changes to child labor laws that are being proposed in state legislators, legislatures. Yeah, so um, uh, most of them are expanding hours that teens can work, which really concerns us because there's research that suggests that when teens work more than 20 hours a week during the school week, that their grades drop. 
and their school completion rates plummet. And, um, you know, we really don't want teens to suffer educationally because they're trying to earn a few extra dollars. Um, so that's, that's, that's one of the fundamental uh, that most of the bills have. But then some of the bills, like the Iowa bill, is allowing teens to work in dangerous places, like uh, the House bill in Iowa lets them work in meatpacking loading docks, which we know is incredibly dangerous work environment, you know, and also in assembly areas in those meatpacking plants. You know, these are, these are plants that have been illegal for child, child labor, for child workers for, you know, many years. And um, letting kids work in these environments doesn't make any sense at all. Let's bring one more voice into the conversation. Joining us from New York is Terry Gerstein. She's the director of the State and Local Enforcement Project at the Harvard Center for Labor and a Just Economy. Terry, great to have you back. Thank you for having me. So, Reed, just describe some of the legislation we see working through certain state legislatures. How are lawmakers justifying these changes? I mean, I think that some of what they've been saying is that they want to make it easier for children to for teens to work. They talk about it in terms of, you know, getting job experience. And they also talk about the needs of employers and um, the labor shortage. Beth, what do we know about the group pushing many of these changes, the Foundation for Government Accountability? Well, one of the things that's interesting about that group is that they're making arguments um, around these rollbacks of child labor regulations um, in ways that we've seen historically playing out. Um, One of them is economic, um, the economic argument of attracting investments, um, making a a place more more business friendly by loosening restrictions. And then there's a second argument um, that falls in the uh, sort of the the world of of parental rights, that that parents, not the state, are in the best position to decide for their children. Well, I want to turn to our voicemail box. We got this message from Mike in Philadelphia. Being a baby boomer and working with my dad from seventh grade on in the family business, I think uh, today's world, people would consider that exploitation. Well, that was a gift to be viewed and given the distinct impression that you're capable of doing this and just go ahead and do it, instill the sense of value into me that uh, I still have today at age 75. Denying the young people the opportunity to be all they could be is really a mistake. Now, of course, children have always worked in some capacity in the United States. I think I had my first job at 13. That was a non-babysitting job. But Beth, when did the government first start to regulate when, where, and how children work? So we see really sort of a long progression historically. Um, And you're right, you know, children have always worked. You know, that question of where and when have kids worked historically, the short answer is always and virtually everywhere. Um, I think that, you know, when, when we look at the historical record, when regulations at the state level start to be put in place are when the work that is being done by children starts to transition out of the purview or out of the sort of supervision of parents or a family setting and into an industrial or a, you know some other kind of um, setting where a, a quote unquote boss is the supervisor, a non-family member, a non-parent. And um, we begin to see um, state level uh, laws being put into place. The first was in Massachusetts as early as 1836. Um, but it's really um, after the Civil War when we see an absolute surge of industrial um, development, urbanization. And um, with that, we see a crush of youngsters um, coming into the workplace. And then that facilitates more laws being passed eventually at the federal level.
Well, as more states revise their child labor rules, the Biden administration is struggling to enforce existing federal regulations. Labor Department data show the number of illegally employed children nearly tripled from 2013 to 2022 to more than 3,800 cases. Here's what the department's labor solicitor, Seema Nanda, had to say about the new labor laws on 1A back in March. No state can lower the floor that federal law provides. So even if a state passes a law that purports to allow children to work in dangerous occupations that federal law prohibits or hours that federal law prohibits, that conduct would still be prohibited by federal law and we will still do our enforcement work. State law can't change the federal floor for wage and hour laws. And we are monitoring those bills very carefully. Terry, what what federal laws protect children's labor from being exploited? Well, the Fair Labor Standards Act, our minimum wage and overtime law, has child labor sections in it. And um, and those laws basically fall into two broad categories. One of them is limit, consists of limitations on the hours that kids can work, um, trying to prevent them from being assigned such long hours that it interferes with their education and with their health. And then the second broad category relates to the kind of work that minors can do, um, preventing them from working in really, really hazardous jobs. These are jobs that are extremely hazardous, even for adults to be working in with a very high risk of injury. Um, And so minors are not allowed to be, employers aren't allowed to, to employ minors to work in that very high risk, hazardous set of jobs. Now, despite those protections, a New York Times investigation published in February revealed thousands of migrant children in the United States are working full-time in dangerous settings. Last month, we spoke to Times reporter Hannah Dreyer about that story. This is not the kind of job that native-born children would have worked. It's not that children aren't allowed to work. Some studies actually show it's good for children to work a couple hours after school. But child labor laws are in place to try to keep children physically safe. And we're talking about kids on roofing sites, kids driving earth movers, working with head splitters. That's something that even a 17-year-old should never do because it's dangerous. An 18-year-old, you know, child labor law ends there. An 18-year-old can do any of these jobs, work any of these hours. But when we're talking about young kids, it really is a safety issue. You'll find that full conversation at the 1A.org. Now, Terry, you also joined us for that show. For people who didn't catch it briefly, how are migrant children falling through the cracks and into these dangerous work environments? Well, some of what is happening is that they're, you know, children are coming in as unaccompanied minors um, and they're being placed with sponsors um, who you know, are in some cases taking advantage of them. Um, but at the same time, there's also the, the the problem of staffing agencies and employers that are taking advantage of this situation. And the household name companies, some of those cases um, that Hannah Dreyer discovered and wrote about involved, for example, minors um, packaging Cheerios. And so these household name companies, they use subcontractors and then the subcontractor uses a staffing agency. Um, and it, it really, the, the whole system of subcontracting and staffing agencies in supply chains enables these household name companies that we're all familiar with to try and deflect responsibility 
accountability and point a finger at some middleman or or staffing agency instead of themselves really owning the problem. We're discussing changes in child labor protections. We'll be back with more from you and our guests after this break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives, empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com slash NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the conversation with this message from Elizabeth, who emails, How can we protect undocumented immigrant children from being exploited while working full-time in dangerous jobs? How are these businesses violating child labor laws being held accountable? Reed, let's start with the protection piece here. What's happening now that this reporting has revealed that there are children working in these dangerous conditions? Well, uh, the Department of Labor and HHS have announced a a memo um, to kind of beef up uh, responses that includes, you know, better interagency coordination, which we think is really important. The the Department of Labor called for increased fines for child labor violations because in the case of the children in the meatpacking plant, uh, they were only able to find the company that hired over, you know, over 100 children in, in 13 facilities in eight states. They were only able to find them $1.5 million, which was like one day of their annual revenue. So um, we've actually been working with um, three congressional offices to increase fines. And, and um, I think the third, the, the third of those three bills is about to be introduced this week. So that, you know, that would significantly increase fines and, and hopefully get the attention of employers. Uh, you know, one, one issue is that the Department of Labor is understaffed. The, the inspectorate that goes around the country and tries to ensure that child labor laws are being obeyed is, um, you know, really needs um, probably close to twice as many inspectors as it has now. It's got about 800. And, uh, um, you know, that's a pretty low level. 
and we would really love to see uh, a significant increase in the number of inspectors, and have, we've actually requested um, uh, appropriations funding for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry, short of an inspector coming across a labor violation, how difficult is it to know when a company is violating child labor laws? Well, I think Reed's point about the need for more funding is really, really salient because however high the penalties are, if employers don't think that they're ever going to get caught, um, you know, there's not real deterrence there. In terms of how to find these cases, um, you know, the 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 cases that have been brought by the U.S. Department of Labor, a case involving a meatpacking plant by the Minnesota Labor Department, the cases that Hannah Dreyer's reporting uncovered, all of it took really a lot of investigative work. It's resource intensive. It involved talking to schools and asking teachers, are there kids who you believe this is happening to who are working full time, who are falling asleep in your classroom, for example. Um, But I think that the more that we have, you know, again, this all takes this takes people, you know, this isn't, there, there aren't really good shortcuts for this kind of work. Um, And, you know, one other major solution for all of this or major piece of the puzzle is increasing workers' ability to form and join unions. Because when you have unions, you have an on-site monitor at the workplace that can make sure that there's not violations happening. But our outdated labor laws make it really hard for people to form unions. And so union density in private sector um, workplaces is now around 6%. But I do think if we had more unions in workplaces around the country, that's something else that I think would make a difference. Well, let's dig a bit deeper into some of the bills being passed on the state level. In March, Republican Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed off on an Arkansas law that eliminates the work permit requirement for children younger than 16. In a statement to NPR, Governor Sanders' spokesperson says, quote, the governor believes protecting kids is most important, but this permit was an arbitrary burden on parents to get permission from the government for their child to get a job. All child labor laws that actually protect children still apply, and we expect businesses to comply just as they are required to do now. GOP State Representative Rebecca Burks confirmed that the Foundation for Government Accountability, the group we mentioned earlier, was behind the legislation. Child and immigrant advocates say that doing away with permits makes it easier for employers to get away with violating child labor laws. Terry, how does Arkansas's law affect the state's ability to pursue and and prosecute child labor violations. I mean, saying that it's good for kids to pass a law like this is like opposite day. Um, The work permits, for example, um, required, you know, what the state had to get, what what kids had to get when they wanted to get the the permission to work was they had to um, show proof of their age and they actually had to show a signature and show parental permission. So in fact, what the state is doing is doing a way with a measure to ensure that parents know or guardians know what kids are doing. And then in terms of dangerous work, um, the law does allow kids to work in certain dangerous, hazardous occupations that I believe would be um, prohibited by federal law if they're part of a training program. Um, And there's all kinds of stuff in the law language about what a training program, you know, what the training program should look like. But if, again, if you don't have enforcement resources, first of all, 
I don't know that kids really need to be trained to do any of 14 year olds need to be trained to do any of these things. Um, these are dangerous situations and workplaces and kids should not be there. But in addition, even accepting the premise of training for some reason, you know, what kind of what kind of oversight is there going to be to make sure that it's a genuine training situation and not something that's just dangerous and exploitative? So I think these these rollbacks are are harmful in, in so many ways. And I think they're also kind of honestly unfair to employers because you know, the federal law still applies and they might be misleading to employers and thinking that something is acceptable um, under state law when in fact the, it's a violative of federal law. So I think that these these changes in the law are just bad all around. Beth, help us with some of the history here. When we start to see child labor protections created in the U.S., how much of it was about protecting children who were at most risk of being exploited, perhaps children without a guardian or or a child who, as we're seeing now, came into the country without a parent or guardian with them? Yeah, I think in the past, um, you know, when we when we look again, sort of look at this historical record, um, oftentimes in, you know, in this moment of, of massive industrialization at the turn of the last century, late 1900s, early, uh, sorry, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, we're actually seeing children oftentimes working in the context of a family um, economy. And so their labor is part of and, you know, is helping to sustain um, a household. Um, so it was less detached, I think, in some ways from what we're seeing today, where we're seeing, and there certainly were cases, um, there certainly were cases of children who were working, they were on their own, they did not perhaps have a guardian, perhaps they were orphans, of course, we're in a moment where there's a very uh, limited, if any kind of social safety net that existed for, for children. Um, but the big takeaway that I think um, sort of bridges then and now are the humanitarian concerns about safety, about welfare, about injury that is um, potentially going to happen for children in these workplaces, um, the impacts on education. These were all arguments that were being put forward um, by child labor reformers, by unions as well, who bridged a sort of humanitarian and economic argument about how this also was depressing wages for adult workers um, to allow them to gain traction. Um, you, you know, as we're talking, it's evoking in my mind images um, that your listeners may be familiar with by the investigator Lewis Hine, who was a photographer that literally went into factories and into workplaces and onto streets and taking pictures and then widely circulating those through various child labor reform groups of children working um, in factories, standing on machine, standing on dangerous machinery, um, some of them missing fingers and limbs, um, and all of these, um, you know, these are patterns that we're seeing repeating themselves, um, not just in terms of the arguments that are being put forward for and against the rollbacks of these child labor protections, but also in the concern um, for children mm -hmm. and who is most at risk in our society and who the state, I think the, the ultimate question is, has a duty to protect. We got this email from Cecil who says, it would be helpful to have an age definition to clarify your use of the term children. What ages are we talking about? Read with the understanding that child labor laws 
don't affect anyone 18 or over, and that there's probably a great deal of variation from state to state. Generally speaking, what age are we talking about when we see kids working these jobs? Yeah, so we're, you know, we're seeing some very young children in some of these horrendous conditions, including the meatpacking plants. The, um, you know, they were finding children, um, among the 102 children that DOL found, they were finding, you know, 12 and 13-year-olds. And it was really um, chemical burns suffered by a 13-year-old worker that um, triggered the whole investigation. And, and, you know, just a reminder, these kids are working the graveyard shift, and then they were trying to go to school and trying to learn, and um, they were falling asleep in the classroom, you know, and some of them were, I, I think, um, Hannah, uh, I think one of the reports mentioned that a child had to be hospitalized for exhaustion, and I mean, these kids are working themselves to death, basically, and they were, you know, they're on the, cleaning the killing floor of a meatpacking plant is not a job for a child. Now, in Minnesota, lawmakers have introduced a bill that, if passed, would allow 16- and 17-year-olds to work on construction sites. Workers in transportation, construction, and extraction jobs accounted for nearly half of all fatal workplace injuries in 2020. That's according to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA. Reid, what do dangerous workplaces like construction sites or or meatpacking plants or automobile factories stand to gain from diminished child labor laws? Well, they're, you know, they're getting workers um, and, you know, children tend to work cheaper than other adult, than adult workers and they're docile. They don't, you know, they're, they're not likely to organize a union and they're likely to do what they're told. They're not likely to say, I don't feel safe doing that. You know, they really want to please their boss. It's often their first job or their second job and they really want to please their boss. I, you know, I have some personal experience with construction sites. I, I almost lost a brother to an accident when he was a young man. Um, he was crushed and, and nearly died. And, I, you know, if they allow children to work in these hazardous work sites, they will get hurt. You know, they, they, the, the people who introduce these bills um, disingenuously claim that they'll do safe things. But there's no such thing as a, a safe thing in a, in a hazardous work zone. So we really, really need to fight these bills um, well, strongly. Well, the conservative advocacy group behind some of these recent changes, again, that's the Foundation for Government Accountability. They've said their child labor bills are part of a larger debate about parental rights. Beth, where else in history do we see that argument used to justify laws that largely apply to children? Well, we see this um, really across, you know, the broad arc of, of modern American history. Um, one, uh, you know, one instance that comes to mind um, are, uh, you know, again, in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, our vaccination campaigns. Um, about whether or not children should be required to be vaccinated. Um, of course, we're still having debates like that today. But when we think of, you know, smallpox inoculation, for example, um, you know, that goes that goes far back into our into our historical record. Um, you know, education as well, compulsory education laws, which often historically went hand in hand with child labor restrictions, um, especially, you know, again, in this moment post-Civil War into the earliest 20th centuries, um, who decides when and where a child um, and for how long a child should go to school? So we do see ripples of this, um, uh, you know, across across the country's history. We got this tweet from Don who says, kids aren't capable of knowing when their employers are giving them orders that are illegal or dangerous. They're too vulnerable to exploitation to take part in an adult-controlled workplace. Terry, in response to that February New York Times investigation that discovered thousands of migrant children working full-time jobs in dangerous conditions, the White House implemented a task force to combat child labor exploitation. What's come out of that group so far? Well, so far that group is 
um, work. I mean, there were a number of provisions that and movements that the Biden administration took in response to that reporting. One was creating the task force, which I believe is reviewing HHS, um, doing an audit of HHS and, or, and the Office of Refugee Resettlement Placements and vetting of sponsors. Um, the Department of Labor is looking to use all of the tools available um, in order to address this problem. And one of them that they're using that hasn't been, you know, I don't think has been that commonly used is a good a, a provision called the hot goods provision, which allows them if goods have been made in violation of the child labor laws, they can basically get an order um, freezing those goods so they can't move in commerce. And that's something that can sometimes be very powerful because, you know, that is a way of reaching those, uh, you know, higher level on the supply chain um, household name corporations if they're goods can't be moved. Um, but I, I I do get the sense from the people that I've spoken with within the administration that they are really, you know, I've spoken to people from the um, Federal Department of Labor, and they are really very much focused on this. They've made it um, a strategic area um, of concentration. And um, this is something that they're really, you know, trying to use all the tools that they can. That said, I would say just as a as a lawyer assessing the state of the law, the difficulty in holding higher level corporations responsible is a problem. The limited penalties are a problem. And again, the limitation in funding and insufficient resources for enforcement are a big problem. But I think they're doing what they can with the resources they have. Reed, what will you continue to push for from Congress and the Biden administration specifically around this area of child labor? Uh, we're looking for Congress to to pass one of these um, some some of these bills to increase child labor fines significantly, you know, by by a factor of ten, and um, to give DOL the flexibility to really um, hurt some of the major corporations that are letting child labor flourish. Um, you know, that's really important. We're trying to get Congress to to provide the funding needed to provide the inspectors that are necessary to really enforce the nation's child labor laws. Um, b- briefly, it's the plight of child farm workers, which are largely ignored in a lot of the current debate on child labor. Let's read Mackey, Director of Child Labor Advocacy at the National Consumers League, Beth English, the Executive Director of the Organization of American Historians and a historian of the 19th and 20th century United States, and Terry Gerstein, Director of the State and Local Enforcement Project at the Harvard Center for Labor and a Just Economy. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was Lauren Hamilton. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. 
It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.